Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm back on the show after uh, a brief absence. Tommy Devine filled in for me last week. You can catch him over on the Tommy Devine Podcast. Uh, shout out to Tommy for follow, filling in for me. Uh, it was very kind of him and he did a great job on the show. So uh, hopefully you listen to that episode next week. If not, we're here right now. We're bringing you all the takes from the final week of the regular season and the actual final week of the regular season this one uh i guess it's technically not though it's champions week whatever that means basically it means that the big 10 championship is happening as well as a handful of other games and here to break it all down with me is my co-host reed murray what's going on reed not too much uh excited to get to see ohio state football once again um hopefully we don't have any uh lingering COVID issues that will cause any problems in the near future but once again uh, ohio state weather you know, whether it's right or not, they're in Indy for a fourth straight year. So uh, I can at least be a little bit happy about that. Right. And before we get into this coming weekend's games, let's talk about what happened last week briefly. So uh, first, I want to talk about the battle for the Land of Lincoln Trophy, the hat, if you will. Illinois versus Northwestern, 28 to 10. Northwestern Wildcats win it. They're going to the Big Ten Championship. They were already, but uh, they still are. <laughs> It's not really about what happened on the field in this game that matters to me. It's about what happened after the game. Lovey Smith is no longer the head coach of the University of Illinois. Reed, what was your first reaction to the firing of head coach Lovey Smith? Um, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, Lovey Smith, he's a well-respected coach. Uh, he had success in the NFL. Um, now he's at Illinois. And once the program was looking like it's finally turning around, um, and this year, you could say that they had a bad start to the year, but they've been good lately. And, I mean, the fact that they contested in this game against Northwestern, they've gotten uh, some good wins down the stretch. Illinois is looking better than they have in the last couple of decades, and now you're firing the coach? It's just kind of puzzling to me. I don't know why you would do that. Well, you know, I think Lovey Smith should still be the coach at Illinois, but Illinois, don't get me wrong. I think this is the wrong decision, at least for now. I, I don't think that – they should have fired him because, I mean, when he took over as the head coach of Illinois, they were a terrible, terrible, terrible program. I'm not saying they're a very good program right now, but they were a train wreck. They were legitimately, I would say, the worst job in Power 5 when Lovey Smith took over. They were that bad. I would say they're even worse than Vanderbilt at that time. Lovey Smith made them at least kind of okay. They weren't just a total pushover by the end of the Lovey Smith regime. They went to a bowl game last year. They went six and six. They beat Wisconsin. But you know, you look at some of the other numbers of, of the Lovey Smith era. He won four games against Big Ten West opponents in his whole tenure at Illinois, which is obviously not enough. So, I mean, were there reasons to say maybe we should be achieving more than we were? Sure. But they were still doing pretty good compared to what they were just a few years before. And certainly before Lovey Smith was the head coach of Illinois. So I don't get why so sudden with this, especially before you've played your final game of the season. Well, and what I have to say on that is um, let's look at the Vanderbilt firing of uh, Derek Mason, Derek Mason. He's been mediocre to bad for his entire uh, tenure at Vanderbilt. But you look at what, what recently happened right before his firing. You say, this is the breaking point. We're winless. We play. We went on the road to Missouri and couldn't even get uh, in field goal range. You play an entire game against this season's Missouri Tigers and can't get in field goal range. That is a fireable offense. That is the breaking point. 
Here it's the opposite. It's it's once things are finally starting to go in the right direction, he's gone. And I could see firing him a few years ago uh, when the program wasn't winning games um, and wasn't where it needs to be. But now things are finally starting to turn around for the Illini, it seems, and they're going and firing the coach. It just doesn't make very much sense to me. Usually it's, it's, it's like it's the opposite of the way you'd expect these kind of things to go. You know, I, I liked the hiring. I thought he made a lot of sense at Illinois, you know. When he was at, he was the head coach of the Chicago Bears and the beloved head coach of the Chicago Bears. The last time the Bears were truly a winning team and a successful franchise, Lovey Smith was their head coach. They went to the Super Bowl and lost to my Colts 06-07, Super Bowl 41. Made it to another NFC championship game just a couple of years later uh, in the 2010-2011 season against Green Bay Packers. So he was a successful coach in the NFL. He goes to college and, you know, he was turning around a pretty terrible Illinois program. This was a program in dire 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 straits and he took them to a bowl game and you know they weren't great this year but that's because they played a conference only schedule and some of those games like when they had all those players go down to COVID before the Purdue game and they were playing a fourth string quarterback they still almost beat Purdue this could have been a you know three and four team right now with a chance of going 500 during champions week if they didn't have all those COVID cases against Purdue it just doesn't make sense to me. This is a decent football team. They're not bad. I don't get why they fired him. I really think that this is the wrong move. They were moving in the right direction, and I don't know who's going to have the cachet in the state of Illinois, if you will, that Lovey Smith does, because with recruits in the state of Illinois, which is going to be their number one location to recruit no matter what, as the flagship university of the state, I don't know who's going to have the same pull as a guy who's universally beloved as the head coach of the bears. And I think a lot of bears fans kind of look back on those years so much more fondly than they have the last decade. And, you know, everybody only loves the bears, especially all these recruits. They grew up when, when these recruits were young, he was the coach. They remember winning and they remember him. So with that and all the Chicago area recruits having a connection to him, plus he's an African-American head coach, which unfortunately is incredibly rare in the FBS. And three of them were just fired. Derek Mason, Lovey Smith, Kevin Sumlin. There are, I think the number going into the season was 14, more or less, give or take, head coaches in the FBS were African-American out of 126, I believe, maybe 120, 130, ballpark. Point being, the number of black head coaches in a mostly black sport was in the teens. And the fact that we are seeing them get fired one by one is just asinine and terrible. And it shows so many deep racial problems with college football and you can say on on your helmet equality or you can put black lives matter on your helmets or the team can send out a tweet or whatever but the fact of the matter is african-american head coaches are not getting the same opportunities in college football and it's just unfair and unjust and it needs to change right now you're right about that and the three of them who just got fired i would say two of them absolutely deserved it but that's not to say right. that, yeah, I that what you're saying someone, is wrong at all. I agree with someone yeah. getting fired. He was a terrible head coach. And Derek Mason, it just wasn't working out at Vanderbilt. Mason should have been fired three years ago, honestly. Yeah, but certainly. But you're, the, you're right the about this is, trend, though. You're absolutely right. With the fact you that shouldn't it's... be able to count on like three hands, like just all the black head coaches. It's exactly. insane. Especially in a sport where I, it's so many I of the players. I can't believe are... that in a sport with so many black players, like we were going to say, we only have this many black head coaches and it's, it's just wrong. It just it's doesn't wrong. add up. It it's, doesn't add up. 
it, it's frankly racist. There's really no other way to put it. It's racist. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, back to the point about Lovey Smith, you look at this year's team in a normal year where they don't deal with COVID and they also don't deal with a conference on the schedule. This team is probably six and six going to a bowl game, just like they were last year. Cause you look at their two and five right now, you take COVID as, you know, away as a factor in that Purdue game. They probably beat Purdue. There's a win there. Uh, they probably pick up a few wins uh, and they're out of conference schedule. And I bet you they end up getting six wins this season. I mean, this team is trending in the right direction. And the Big Ten West this year, I think it's a fair statement to say is better than last year's Big Ten West top to bottom overall. So you're playing in a tougher Big Ten West than you were last year. Team's still doing well enough, uh, definitely not getting worse. The firing of, of Lovey Smith, it's just it's, it's puzzling. It doesn't make sense. It's a head scratcher. And the question is, where do you even go from here? Who, what assistant looks at the Illinois job as a destination and not as a stepping stone? Because I think for a lot of people, a lot of the more attractive head coaching candidates, number one, either they're not going to leave their current position and they're going to wait for a more attractive spot than Illinois. Number two, they're going to go to Illinois and maybe they have some success. Maybe not. Maybe they show some signs. They use it as a stepping stone. They go to a more attractive job where they're going to get paid more and get better recruits and win more games. So that's the thing with Lovey Smith is I think he viewed Illinois as a destination. He wanted to be at Illinois. Illinois was where, you know, he, he was the coach of the bears. He loves the state of Illinois. He gets it. I don't think as many coaches as, as, as I don't think there is a coach as good as Lovey Smith who wants to be at the university of Illinois. I completely agree with you on that. Um, like you said, I, I mean, you, it, there's really not much more to say who wants to be the Illinois head coach. It's a hard I would job. Be. It's Especially a hard job. Other, yeah. It, it's it not, is hard it's not being some cakewalk the... job. I'm not saying, not saying that coaching any power five football team is a cakewalk, obviously, but it's not as easy as it is to coach at, let's say Ohio state, which recruits itself in all honesty, just the name Ohio state is kind of enough for a lot of guys, but at Illinois, you, you can't sell Illinois the same way you can sell Ohio state or Michigan or, or even sell Iowa or Wisconsin, your, your divisional foes. It's just a, a hard sell and it doesn't have the football culture or the football history or the repertoire or any of that. It's, it's a tough, tough job. And Lovey Smith, I think was starting to do a really good job with it. So why you fired him is beyond me. Yeah. I don't get it in the slightest. I don't really have anything to say about uh, the final end of uh, the final game, not the final end. Uh, it's implying there's multiple ends. The final game of the Lovey Smith era, 20 to 10 lost to Northwestern for the hat. Not really much to say about this one. Uh, Northwestern, not too confident in them going to the Big Ten Championship, but hey, they made it. That's more than you can say about last year's team. Uh, they're certainly trending upward as well, but I don't really have much to say in this game, though. Uh, Reed, do you? Um, this is kind of what I expected going into this game. Illinois Certainly. puts up a fight. Northwestern, um, they end up winning. They're just a stronger team overall. They're, I would say they're as much as I think Lovey Smith is a good coach, you can't argue that Pat Fitzgerald is a better coach. They're a better coach team uh, with better athletes. Talent and coaching won out in this one. Right, and Northwestern has dominated this rivalry for a while now, so I'm not, not surprised by this result in the slightest. So, Next game I want to talk about Wisconsin and Iowa. Now, Iowa won this game 28-7, to but I think this score is super misleading. And I'm not saying it's misleading because Wisconsin played well. 
In fact, I think it's misleading because I think Iowa played terribly. Iowa had a bad game. Wisconsin had a bad game. Neither team looked very good. There were multiple times in this game where both teams were just going back and forth, trying to hand the game to one another. Uh, I look back and I remember a possession in this game. uh, One of the worst possessions I've seen in my entire life of watching this sport. So botched punt for Iowa. Wisconsin gets the ball inside the five. They fail to convert three consecutive plays. Then Graham Mertz throws an interception on fourth down. That is what this game was. It was Iowa doing something stupid and Wisconsin doing something even stupider. So while this was a good win for Iowa, I'm not disputing that. I'm not all too impressed by this team. I don't know about you, Reed. I disagree. Um, I think this game, while it was pretty ugly, um, I would say the fact that you could have an ugly game and beat Wisconsin does say something about your team. And that's not to say Iowa should be scratching the surface of top 10 or anything like that. Um, but I think it's justified that they should be ranked somewhere in the middle of the pack. Uh, I think the fact that Spencer Petras um, actually looked good in this game, or at least looked better than we would expect from him, uh, considering his past performances, that speaks volumes to me too. So uh, I have respect. I have more respect for Iowa after this game than I did before. Um, and I'm not completely aligned with you on this whole um, anti-Iowa thing. Iowa played terrible, though. They just did, especially in that first half. Neither team looked good. Wisconsin looked far worse, and there are a lot of things I want to talk about with Wisconsin, but Iowa didn't look particularly good, and I don't think Peters looked great, like you said. I think he looked pretty bad in the first half and kind of okay in the second half, and it was enough to win. I think Iowa did exactly what they needed to to win, and, yeah, they, they won by 21 points. That's impressive, but I'm not saying they played particularly well. It's not like they just manhandled this Wisconsin team. I would argue that Indiana had a better performance against Wisconsin, despite winning by less points. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there too. And I think when the committee looked at this kind of game, if they just look at the scoreline, they see, oh, well, Indiana, uh, they want a close one, whereas Iowa kind of put it out of reach when that's really not the case. And Iowa, final score of this game really should have been 21 to 7 or 21 14, quite frankly, if Graham Morris doesn't throw a late interception. Uh, Iowa just got some garbage time points. Um, but even then, you look at what Spencer Peters did, and you said he had a bad game uh, or at the very best an okay game. He, he, we're still talking about a guy who went up against the Wisconsin defense and got 211 yards and two touchdowns. That's impressive to me in and of itself. Yeah, I'm saying he had a pretty okay second half, but the, the first half, nobody looked good, especially Graham Mertz, who really since that Michigan game has not looked like the player we thought he could be. And Yes, he's had to go up against three really, really, really good defenses in Northwestern, Indiana, and Iowa. Not sure he could have had a worse draw there, but uh, he has not been up to the task even once, and it's really concerning given his development and what we thought we could see from Mertz going forward. Well, that, that's kind of what we expected. I mean, he's going to go up against, I would say, the three top defenses in the Big Ten. Well, I would consider I think maybe Ohio State say, above well, Iowa. Read, read, read. I think it's fair to say that's what we expected. But it's still disappointing because we think we would see at least something. Like maybe he would make one of those really great throws we saw against Michigan or against Illinois. I haven't seen one in the last three games from Graham Mertz, and it's disappointing. I would call it disappointing. Sure. But, I mean, I think we're going to see some more of that Graham Mertz we saw uh, in his first two games uh, this week and probably in bowl season too. I hope so. He's a fun player to watch. Uh but we haven't seen it the last three games. And that's uh, not even once, not even for a single play, you know, haven't even seen a flash of it, which 
I, I hope he proves me wrong and I hope he pulls it back out, but I don't know. We're going to have to see. So uh, with that game though, and, and moving on to this Michigan state versus Penn state game though, this is a game that, that this is the weirdest game. One of the weirdest games of the season, not the weirdest, but it's among them because Michigan state was kind of dominating this game, you know, into early third quarter. And then, you change the channel for one second and suddenly Penn state is up and uh, you wonder what happened. What happened to Michigan state? They, they just kind of went from dominating it to the script being absolutely flipped on them and Penn state ended up covering. Yeah. Um, like you said, you flip the channel and then you see a completely different game. I was having a laugh at the fact that Penn state uh, was down at the half struggling with Michigan state. Um what a bizarre result is really all you can say just I mean and I I think that really shows the fact that Penn State um they had a a rough start to the season but now they they got a little bit of momentum uh when when they needed it a few weeks ago now they're a more motivated team and it really comes down to the mental aspect aspect of the game and the fact that now they have a little bit a little bit of mojo and a little bit a little bit of momentum god I cannot speak right now um but but once they have that they're really a different team. And it goes to show that those losses to uh, Maryland and Iowa, I think Iowa probably would have won uh, straight up, but I mean, the Maryland loss, it really goes to show you that was a really mentally driven loss. Yeah. uh, And and with Penn state, they got to take care of business this week for sure. But this team's going bowling. I think Uh, if they they don't win this week, then probably not. But, I think this team is probably going to make a bowl game, which is crazy to think about after that 0-5 start, but here they are. <laughs> this Penn State team somehow made it. They're 3-5 and five now. They're at least looking kind of okay. Uh, sure, none of their wins are against super great opponents, but they're looking okay. And even if they don't make a bowl game, I could see this team uh, scheduling their own matchup, which is a thing that you can now do in the NCAA. I talked about this a couple weeks ago about how I thought that could be a cool idea. Teams basically make their own postseason games at home, road, neutral site, whatever, if they don't get into a bowl game due to all the bowl cancellations that have been happening, uh, particularly with Big Ten and Pac-12 bowls. Uh, I think Penn State, even if they don't make a bowl game, maybe they'll schedule their own non-conference game and play another because uh, I think that there's a lot that needs to be seen from this team still, a lot of the young guys, and uh, they could use the experience because this is a team I think that going forward could be pretty good. And uh, you know, we, there was a lot of talk about James Franklin getting fired when they were 0 and five that has all died down completely. It may have been a little reactionary, but uh, nevertheless, Penn state is looking kind of okay right now. And uh, you can lower your pitchforks, everyone. Well, Back when Penn State was winless and they were 0-4, I remember saying I still had them in my bowl predictions. And I don't think they're even going to have to make their own bowl game. I think they straight up get a bowl bid. Um, you know, they, they got a record. They're sitting at 3-5 and five right now. I bet you they get a win this week and go 4-5. and five. Especially when you can factor in the fact that they are called the Penn State Indian Lions. That's a bowling record for 2020 standards. Um, and I think they make it in without having to come up with their own Happy Valley Bowl or whatever. Uh, they want to call that exhibition match. Uh, I think they get a bowl bid too. Uh, well, the quick claim bowl isn't going to happen this year, but I, I think they would get the equivalent of that. Um, God, I can't remember what, what the name of the uh, guaranteed rate bowl. That's the one uh, I think they're going to get. Um, 
in Arizona. Yeah. So I think they make their way into a regular bowl game, especially with the fact that, I mean, they're, I guess you could say they're peaking at the right time. I mean, the right time for this team to peak really would be uh, around the beginning of the season when they're playing Indiana and Ohio state. Uh, but they had a rough first five weeks. Um, now things are starting to turn around. I think they get into a bowl game. They face a pretty crummy opponent and honestly might finish the season five and five with a bowl win. Yeah. Who would have thought they're, they're getting hot at, at just the right time. And they looked ice cold for the first half of this Michigan state game, but kind of out of nowhere, they ended up pulling out and winning this game. But uh, I thought the winner of this game, I didn't get the chance to say, cause I didn't get to come on the podcast, but uh, I thought the winner of this game was going to go bowling uh, no matter what. And I kind of think Penn state will, because they're going to get Illinois, Illinois just fired their coach. Who knows what they're going to look like. Sometimes teams get a, excuse me, a little bump after firing their coach, but who knows with, with the whole Lovey Smith thing and it being right before the last game of the season. I don't know if they'll get the fired your coach bump or if they're just going to kind of fizzle out and end their season. So uh, that should be an interesting one. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Two more games to talk about Minnesota and Nebraska Gophers. Speaking of turnarounds, they're 500 uh, and Nebraska falling apart. Yet another very disappointing loss for the Huskers where uh, they couldn't pull it out despite a very close contest. Uh, yeah, I think one thing to notice in this game is that Minnesota, I still um, would rate uh, Muhammad Ibrahim as uh, the best player in this game, but they relied on him a lot less than they typically do. And he was hardly even getting touches until late in the first half. Um, so I think the fact that they're trying, they're trying to make their offense revolve around more than just one player, uh, and again, like this against Nebraska, and they can still get a win. Uh, that's huge moving forward. And again, I think Minnesota, they're a team who now they're three and three, looking like they can get into a bowl game. I think they end up losing to Minnesota in this Champions Week. But even three and four Minnesota with the season they had last year could get into a bowl game, um, especially over Maryland, who has a good record but has looked rough lately and hasn't played a lot of games. I think I think Minnesota could get in uh, could get another uh, one of those bowl bids of one of those low tier Big Ten tie in games. Um, and Minnesota, they're showing the right signs. I mean, the quarterback play still isn't there. Tanner Morgan is not the Tanner Morgan we saw last year. Um, but the fact that they can actually get points on the board without giving Muhammad Ibrahim the ball every single snap, it's good for them. So it's a sign of improvement. Right. And, and I remember when we talked about Penn State, I mentioned the scheduling your own postseason games. Nebraska seems like the type of school to schedule their own postseason game against some terrible, terrible team and dominate them just to end the season with a moral victory. That seems like the Scott Frost move. And, you know, I talk about Scott Frost, but speaking of terrible coaches who were at Nebraska at one point or another, Bob Diaco, the defensive coordinator at Purdue, has been fired. I thought this was a fun way to shoehorn it in since Purdue's game against Indiana has been canceled now twice. The old Oaken bucket will not be played for the first time in over 100 years, I believe. Uh well, Bob Diaco's gone. Congrats, Purdue fans. I think everybody knew this was a bad hire to begin with. He was a bad defensive coordinator at Nebraska, bad defensive or bad off, or excuse me, bad head coach at UConn. He was a good defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, but that's because he had Manti Teo, who was a Heisman candidate and a bunch of other NFL players on that defense. So when you give him an average defense to work with, spoiler alert, they're not going to be very good. So uh, I don't know what Purdue saw in the first place in Bob Diaco's Nebraska defense uh, that didn't work in the Big Ten West and said, hmm, that defense that didn't work in the Big Ten West, that'll translate in the Big Ten West. 
So I don't know what they saw in that, but they did. And it didn't even last to the end of the season or well, it did last to the end of Purdue season because they're not playing another game this year. Reed, what do you make of the Bob Diaco firing? Um, it makes sense. Obviously Purdue's defense has been pretty atrocious this season. Uh, and I think moving forward, getting a better defensive coordinator to work with this D line um, that last year was one of the better ones in the big 10 this year, we haven't really seen as, as much of that. A lot of that comes from Karloftis being injured. Um, but I think moving forward, this Purdue defense has potential. So getting a new defensive coordinator uh, to sort of shake things up there, we might see a Purdue team that's more multifaceted, less of a one-dimensional uh, Purdue team that relies too much on their offense. Um, so I think this could be good for them moving forward. This might actually help uh, save Jeff Brahma's job if the defense can start performing next season. Um, Purdue might start getting eight and four, nine and three type records and maybe the whole Brom contract situation won't seem as ridiculous as we originally thought. Well, well, Bob Diaco was just a bad hire to begin with, and he was not going to make Jeff Brom look good no matter what. So given the defense is already bad and it had bad personnel, adding a bad coordinator into the mix, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. And it was a disaster. The Purdue, Purdue defense was an objective disaster this season. So, uh, one message from a Purdue fan, though, uh, my friend Leo, who's been on this program before, Leo Degan, he writes, so happy. His scheme was archaic and didn't use, utilize the athleticism of the players at all. So uh, Purdue fans seem to be pretty okay with this move. Uh, and speaking of potential with this Purdue defense, you talked about George Karloftis. The only National Signing Day thing we're going to talk about, uh, because that was this week, uh, we don't do a ton of recruiting during the season. That's an off season thing for me and you. The only uh, real recruiting thing we're going to talk about though, you just bring up, I guess, George Karloftis, brother, Yanni Karloftis of West Lafayette high school is going to Purdue and he will be joining his brother on the defensive line, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, will be a scary sight for every big 10 offensive line and quarterback that they now have to deal with not only one Karloftis, but two of them before the other one inevitably goes to the NFL. So uh, that's a big get for Purdue and hopefully whichever defensive coordinator they end up with can get some potential out of those two, because I think they're both going to do their thing, but maybe a good defensive coordinator will help the rest of the defense step it up. So we're gonna have to see with that. Uh, last game of the week though, which I, what I think ended up being the game of the week Rutgers wins it on a game-winning kick against Maryland in overtime. Reed, is Rutgers back? I mean, they're back to being okay, I guess. Yeah. You know, it depends on what you consider back <laughs> to be. Are they back to what? Um, but sure, if you want to go ahead and call Rutgers back, I guess you can. Rutgers uh, is back, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, a 3-5 and five conference regular season with a chance in – the last week of the season and champions week to make that four and five folks. I think that could be a bowl game. And if not a bowl game, I'm going to say it for the third straight uh, game, schedule your own because I want to see more of this Rutgers team. This Rutgers team is actually pretty fun. Believe it or Rutgers not. Is, I don't think Rutgers would host a bowl game, but they would totally go on the road uh, mm -hmm. to somebody in the ACC or something like that. I would actually love to see them face a, a former big, uh, big East opponent. Maybe West Virginia. If West Virginia doesn't uh, make a bowl game, depends on how their season goes. I bet they probably get a bid, but who knows? It's something uh, fun to mess about with. Uh, but I would love to see them face some of these East Coast opponents. 
uh, again, whether it be in a real bowl game or in the in one of your own custom, I guess you call them exhibition matches uh, at the end of the season. It's uh, yeah, this game, it's, I get, it's feasible for this team to finish 500 in a year where they didn't get to play any cupcakes. Yeah, honestly, uh, you put them against some of these uh, like Howard University type teams. It, or actually, it was Maryland who played Howard last year. But regardless, you put Rutgers up against some of these teams like Monmouth. I believe Monmouth is under schedule originally in 2020 uh, against some of those FCS or low FBS teams. This team honestly could go from uh, a two-win season all the way to six and six in bowling. Another Illinois-esque uh, turnaround like we saw last year. Um, and when you look at this game, first of all, interesting that Rutgers was rotating three quarterbacks. Uh, this was something we were looking for uh, going into the week with the federal injury. Um, I believe he's injured and, he, and he's, he's been ruled out for the following week. But rotating Satowski, Vedral, and Langen, um, how often do you see a three-quarterback uh, rotation in college football, and how often do you see them actually put points on the board and have it actually work effectively? I mean, this is a really interesting scheme that Shiano's going with. Right, and with Maryland, this team kind of fell off from what we thought they were at the beginning of the season when we thought this team was maybe the third best team in the big 10 East, but you know, they still made a lot of steps in the right direction this year for Maryland. And I think COVID got to them more than it got to just about any team in the whole league. Uh, they did end up only playing five games. So while that, that sucks for them, they only had to play five games, you know, two and three is a little disappointing, but Hey, I mean, a lot of people expected less of them and, you know, COVID messed with their flow and, they missed players for games and there's the whole thing. Whereas I think in a regular year, this team probably would have gone six and six and went to a bowl game. Yeah. And, and I'm going to ask you maybe the hardest question of the year right now, how would you rank each team in the big 10 East? If you had to give a one through seven ranking of the big 10 East, obviously the top two are pretty easy. Ohio State, Indiana. How do you rate uh, the rest of those five teams in comparison to one another? In what regard would I rank them as in, just overall right best now? team. Like in general? Yeah, just like wh- right which now. team is, is the best? Like power rankings, essentially. Give me your power rankings for the 2020 season or just like going forward? I, there's so many ways to know this. Right? This this season, the, the 2020 season. <laughs> okay. Your Big Ten East power rankings. Ohio State, Indiana, Penn State, Rutgers, Michigan, Maryland, Michigan State. But those last four are very, 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 very tough. Interesting, yeah. I would also have to put Penn State at number three. Who would have thought we'd, we'd be saying that uh, three or four weeks ago? Honestly, those last four are so hard because they, they've all really beaten one another up. And Michigan State, when, when you look at resume only, they beat Michigan. They got a win against Northwestern. That's probably the best win out of all those teams. But you really could say they're the worst team there. Uh, and that those wins really came out of a fluke situation. Rutgers is another team who I would say is so hard to rate because on one hand, I mean, they got, they got the win against Maryland. They got the Purdue win. Uh, they really should have beaten Michigan. Um, they've had some good games, but there's just something about Rutgers that says they shouldn't be there. Um, I still would probably put Rutgers at fourth uh, as shocking as that is to say, but honestly what Maryland has shown me in the last few weeks is that they might actually be the second worst team in the East, depending on uh, where you put each team. Uh, but yeah, interesting to think about how, how you'd rate how you would rate uh, these seven Big Ten East teams. Much that cha- harder. That changes than the West, every single week. It really that does. Changes every yeah, single with week. Each result. Yeah. 
That's so tough. And I think but, if we uh, were to rate them right now and have one finalized list, it'd be, it'd be different uh, in a few days whenever these uh, Saturday games are over. Right, absolutely. Let's get into those Saturday games and one Friday game. Uh, Champions Week. It was originally supposed to be number one versus number two, number one versus number one, number two versus number two, so on and so on. Big Ten East versus Big Ten West. That did not happen. Uh, it was basically just let's reschedule some games and kind of make the matchups we feel like. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense to have one week uh, where you have the Big Ten Championship and then you have makeup games. Um, but the problem is just, you know, in the beginning of the season, the Big Ten said it was going to be the two versus two or three versus three thing. Um, and it, it just doesn't make sense why they they made this rule, just like the rule about uh, the minimum games to make the championship game, why they made all these rules early in the season when they really didn't mean anything. They might as well have just said – they might as well have just said, uh, you know, look, we're going to have this other week. We have the Big Ten Championship going on, and then we're going to have other games take place uh, in the Big Ten Conference. It, it just doesn't make sense why they made these rules and why they, they set these expectations uh, when, I mean, 2020 is a year. You really can't – it's hard to schedule things, and it's hard to anticipate what's going to happen months in advance. So it, it's just bizarre why the Big Ten did this in the first place when, you know, you're going to end up having – you got – uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota going to be made up. Um, you got Michigan and Iowa we're going to play. Um, just some of these matchups that, that are not at all um, the essentially second-tier version of the Big Ten Championship, uh, those games happening. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. The second through seventh-tier versions of the Big Ten Championship. And I thought it was a great idea when it first got announced, and I guess we're never going to really see it happen. I think it's something they should do every year. I think they should keep this going. I think they should give it a chance in a non-COVID year because I think it would be really, really, really cool. So maybe they do do it at some point. I don't know. It would bring some more interesting matchups, but we're not going to see it this year really, although kind of. But two games we are not going to see for sure, though. Michigan and Iowa, Indiana and Purdue, both of those are canceled due to COVID. Michigan season is over. Purdue season is over. Indiana and Iowa, they're going bowling. We will see them in bowl season. Presumably, assuming COVID clears up at Indiana. Uh, yeah. Um, it, it really sucks that these games get canceled. But I, I get the feeling that the reason some of these games were scheduled in the first place, like the old Oak and Bucket, um, makeup or the Iowa Michigan game. Uh, the reason they didn't just say Iowa Indiana is because they, I had the feeling that they knew uh, some of these games were going to take place. I had the feeling that they they knew considering Indiana and produced COVID cases that neither of the teams would be playing. So they said, you know what, let's put them up against one another, um, and it'll look like we tried to make this rivalry game happen. Um, so unfortunately, those aren't going get, to get to take place. But it seems like this was kind of a planned thing. The Big Ten they knew it was unlikely that Indiana. Um, Michigan, Purdue, we're going to be able to play football games. So that's why they scheduled them the way that they did. One thing I missed earlier today, apparently, Michigan State and Maryland's been canceled. So now we're only going to have four games this weekend in the Big Ten, which uh, that is disappointing that only four of the seven games are even getting played. But one that is getting played is the conference championship. Uh, and we will get to that last. I think that's going to be kind of our cap of the episode because it's the best one, the most important one. Anyway, let's get into our first game of the week. Nebraska and Rutgers. I would call this the Noah Vedral revenge game, but Noah Vedral is not playing. He is hurt. Nebraska is a six and a half point favorite. I hate that line. I think Rutgers is going to win this game. I think Rutgers wins this game. 
Friday night in Piscataway, a little bit weird, little little fluky kind of game. I think Nebraska is unprepared. Nebraska is playing terribly. They're playing uninspired football. Rutgers has heart. Nebraska doesn't. That's the difference between these teams. If Novedro were playing, I think Rutgers would win definitely. Not as sure without him. I still think Rutgers is going to win this game, though. I'm taking the Scarlet Knights 27-24. Now, in this game, I think the Cornhuskers are a lock to play in their own custom bowl game or their own custom postseason exhibition, whatever you want to call that. Um, but it's still possible for them to make an actual bowl game. There's still a prayer. Uh, it's still within the realm of possibility, you can say. So I think this is a Nebraska team who, you know, Scott Frost wants to make a bowl game. He wants. It's not looking like he's going to get fired, but he still wants to extend his tenure at Nebraska as long as possible. He wants to make the best case for himself. Uh, so it would be huge for him to get a win in this game and potentially make a bowl game, potentially win a bowl game. Um, so Nebraska fighting for their bowl chances. And I just think at the end of the day, Rutgers, especially a Rutgers team without federal, I think they rely on federal too much. Um, I think going up against a team in Nebraska that just has better athletes uh, and you can argue about how well coached they are or how fine tuned they are, or what kind of football they're playing. The athletes are better. And I think when Nebraska, uh, I think they're going to be inspired in this game playing a Nebraska team who's actually fighting for something, I think is going to be a difficult task for Rutgers. I have Nebraska winning this one 28-21. I think it'll be close regardless, though, Reed. I do think this is going to be a close ball game, so we're going to have to see. Um, next game, uh, the 4 o'clock Saturday game, they brought back the Axe game that was originally canceled, folks. We've got an actual rivalry the last week of the season. Minnesota-Wisconsin – Battle for the Axe. Wisconsin's a 12-and-a-half point favorite. I hate that line. I'm not even sure Wisconsin's going to win this game. These teams do have equivalent records. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin's had a whole lot more hype this season, but Wisconsin's on a three-game losing streak. Or I did say they had equivalent records. They have equivalent amount of losses. Minnesota's actually got more wins than Wisconsin. Minnesota is 3-and-3. Three three. Wisconsin's 2-and-3. Wisconsin's obviously played less games due to COVID, but uh, – I don't get how Wisconsin is such a big favorite here. That makes zero sense to me because Minnesota's been playing pretty okay recently and Wisconsin's been playing terrible. I don't know if Wisconsin can even win this game. I kind of like Minnesota here. Yeah, I would say Wisconsin is the favorite in this one because they're just the better team. Uh, But I actually agree with you. I think Minnesota could totally sneak out a win here. Um, in this game, they're, they're peaking at the right time. And with the team, the rest of the team, like we said last week, they relied less on Ibrahim. They showed they could still get it done against Nebraska. If Ibrahim has a big game here, Minnesota definitely keeps it close, could potentially get a win. Um, and I think that would lead to a, a really misleading view of Wisconsin when you look at their record. Uh, honestly, they could actually miss a bowl game if they lose this one, as bizarre as that is. They were such a good team early in the season. Um, I think that would lead to one of the more – uh, misleading records we've ever seen. And I would think you would probably say they're uh, the best um, 333 team in college football history. Um, because this <laughs> I mean, Wisconsin team is good. You got to say, we'll have to look at the numbers on that one. Yeah. Uh, there would have to be some kind of research on it, but I can't imagine finding a team uh, with a winning percentage of 333 uh, better than this Wisconsin team if they do end up going two and four. Um, so, as weird as it is, Wisconsin totally could lose this one. Um, but we've seen the way Mertz can shine against poor defenses. Um, 
I think going up against uh, Minnesota, this is just the bounce back he needs. I think this offense puts a lot of points on the board. I have Wisconsin in a 45 to 31 win. Reed, I don't know about that. I think that it's a game of momentum is what I've learned. Wisconsin's riding a three game losing streak and they've lost all their confidence. However, Wisconsin at the same time is playing for something. They're playing for bowl eligibility. If they lose this game and go two and four, they probably aren't making a bowl game. So they've got a lot to play for, let alone they're playing against their arch rivals. They're playing for a trophy. And so is Minnesota. I think Minnesota is going to go bowling no matter what Wisconsin, if they lose this game, two and four is a tough sell for a bowl game. So I like Wisconsin in a very, very, very close one. I like it 21 to 20 Wisconsin. I think this one could go either way, but I think Minnesota definitely covers though. Yeah, I could see the covering. Uh, I think at the end, just, I think Wisconsin runs up the score. Um, and I just think Mertz against the defense that's going to allow him to be the Graham Mertz we saw earlier in the year. Um, I think Wisconsin's got to win this one. And uh, that game, I am sure, will have just great, great television ratings because there is no game better than the Axe at 4 o'clock. Particularly, there is not a game between two college football playoff locks uh, playing in Charlotte, North Carolina, being the Clemson Tigers and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. If, if that game were happening, then maybe, but uh, I don't think there's a game between those two teams at that exact same time. So I'm sure everybody in the nation will be locked in on BTN watching the battle for the Axe. Yeah, and it's funny you called Clemson a playoff lock there. I would say if they lose this game, unless they lose in overtime by three points, I think Clemson actually could end up missing the playoff. I would say Notre Dame's a playoff lock. Uh, but that's enough no, playoff Clemson, talk for now. I think I think that the I think the committee's gonna do whatever they can to get Clemson in there. That's fair. Uh, I think if Clemson loses this game by two possessions, they're out. I think by yeah, one and possession, I don't, they I don't see that happening though. Out. Anyway, let's not talk about that game that isn't happening at 4 o'clock on ABC at the exact same <laughs> time as the Battle for the Axe and that nobody will be watching instead of Minnesota versus Wisconsin. I can promise you that much. How about another game that nobody's going to be watching that starts in be- that does not start in between the ACC championship game between not Clemson and not Notre Dame and not the SEC championship game between not Florida and not Alabama, and that is – Penn State versus Illinois. Penn State is a 15-and-a-half-point favorite over the coachless Illinois fighting Illini. Reed, I don't even think it's going to be that close. I like Penn State in an absolute blowout here. This team is on fire. Yeah, and when you consider the fact that Illinois has lost their head coach, um, especially a coach, I, I imagine all these players loved him. Um, I don't see this Illinois team being too inspired, and I see the opposite happening in Penn State. I think they'll get a bowl game, but I think that they still are kind of fighting for their bowl eligibility. It's possible they don't make one. Um, so they're fighting for something. They've got something to play for, and they're hitting their stride late in the season at the right time. Um, I have I have Penn State at Purdue, um, definitely not Purdue, by a score of, let's say, 27-14. I like it here, Penn State 35, Illinois 20. So uh, that'll do it for this week. Or nah, 35-20, now I'm thinking about it. No, I'm going 35-14 to 14 Penn State. That's too close. I think Penn State's going to cover that spread. Uh, that'll do it for this week's recap, or recap and preview. We did both. 
one of the shortest previews ever, only four games due to three COVID cancellations. That is very disappointing. I would love to see more Big Ten football, but what are you going to do? Sometimes the virus just gets in the way and that sucks. But speaking of things uh, that we're going to be previewing or recapping, I guess, you might be curious to our YouTube viewers why I'm wearing this North Dakota State sweatshirt. And to our regular podcast listeners, you are not curious at all because you can't see me. But if you could see me and you go to our YouTube channel, you can search up first and one G over on youtube.com. You would see this North Dakota state bison sweatshirt I'm wearing from home field apparel in the spring. When the FCS plays football, we will be covering it. We will be doing Missouri Valley Mondays where every Monday after Missouri Valley football, which is kind of the big Ten's FCS sister conference, if you will, it's the big Midwestern conference. We will be talking about, the Missouri Valley. So you will see that. We'll talk about that. North Dakota State's the big team there. However, we've got one more game to talk about that I completely forgot about uh, because I was only thinking regular season games. We have a conference championship game and I'm an absolute idiot and Reed Murray is laughing at me right now. If you could see uh, his Zoom screen. (laughs) I forgot about the conference championship game. Northwestern Ohio State. I was wondering, I was wondering if, if this was part of your big buildup. I was Leading too excited. I you were too excited. Yeah. I was too excited thought, to talk about uh, the Missouri Valley to talk about Northwestern versus Ohio State uh, because I, mean, I am when you far more. The, when you compare I, the compare powerhouse it? conference of the Missouri Valley, who hey, cares? Hey, listen, Reed. Listen, 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 uh, Reed Murray. If you were, t- you know, what this Northwestern versus Ohio State game is going to remind me of. Uh, this is like North Dakota State in 2019, you know, the, the best team in the country. This is like North Dakota State against Illinois State, in all honesty. Uh, that's a Missouri Valley moment for you right there. That's, that game was, was a blowout, if, if uh, my recollection serves me correctly. Uh, that is a Missouri Valley moment, and uh, Northwestern might have to be relegated to the Missouri Valley if they lose this game. Uh by as much as I think they will, because I think Ohio state is playing angry. And I think Ohio state is going to kick the doors off of Northwestern. And I think Northwestern is a decent team, but Ohio state is going to just crush them because they can't expose them the way that it takes to expose Ohio state. If you want to expose Ohio state, it's all about vertical passing and getting the ball down the field and making big plays. Northwestern is not a big play offense. They don't stand a chance. I like Ohio state here, 49 to 14. Yeah, I actually disagree with you on that. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right about the fact that Northwestern won't be able to pull away a win because they just don't have the explosiveness that Indiana does. And, and Indiana almost got there. They almost uh, came away from – came out of Columbus with a win against Ohio State. But Northwestern seems to be the Indiana Hoosiers minus the sort of electric component of that team. Um, so they don't have what it takes to pull off a win. And I think the only way – the Northwestern does get a win is if the run game for Ohio State is just completely stagnant. Um, because in this game, Ohio State, obviously, they can win games um, without running the ball super effectively. Um, but the thing is, well, there's rumors about Chris Olave being out with COVID. Even then, they could still completely put up ridiculous numbers with just Garrett Wilson and the other incredible receivers uh, in this receiving core. However, you put them up against this Northwestern secondary, a secondary similar to that of Indiana. Ohio State, although they put up a lot of points and a lot of yards against Indiana, um, their offense still struggled to an extent in that game. Um, and the fact that the, that the passing game wasn't perfect then 
Uh, they had to go rely on the run game. So it, it's really going to come down to whether or not Teague and Sermon are going to be on top of the game. I think they will be, and I, I don't think Northwestern poses too much of a challenge. But if the run game can't get going and if Fields doesn't be, isn't able to run the ball, um, I think that could lead to an Ohio State loss. Other than that, I think there's no way uh, that it's in an Ohio State loss is even possible, and they just they pass the ball too well. well actually, there's one way Justin Fields gets injured. I think if he is injured, God, I'm going to have to knock on wood that doesn't happen. Um, then we're talking about a completely different game, but a completely healthy Ohio State cannot lose in this one. However, I think Northwestern keeps it somewhat close, and I think the scoreline of this game is going to be similar to the Big Ten Championship 2018 between these two same teams, and I'm actually predicting the exact same score in that game uh, as there was in that game. 45-24 Ohio State is my final score prediction. Um, I think Peyton Ramsey looks okay in this game uh, like he has all season, and that's going to be enough to get Northwestern. Um, a few touchdowns uh, and a few decent drives, just not enough to beat Ohio State. I think they ought to look good. They ought to make Ohio State not look incredible, um, but they just don't have what it takes to actually become Big Ten champions this year. And as far as bowl games go, go for Northwestern, kind of thinking Citrus Bowl after this one. Citrus maybe out back. Honestly, with the way the committee looks at Iowa – they might put Iowa in the Citrus and Northwest in the Outback, as unfortunate as that is. Northwest in this season totally deserves the Citrus bid. They seem like the uh, quintessential Big Ten Citrus Bowl team. But considering the way that the committee has evaluated teams this season, you really can't imagine that they're going to give them a fair rating and put them in a fair bowl game. Yeah, and that's tough. I really – I mean, you'll get the head-to-head. Uh, Northwestern won head-to-head by a point, but they won. And then you look at who did they lose to? Well, Iowa lost twice and Northwestern lost twice. But the difference is Northwestern's losses came later in the season. And the committee has always had a recency bias. And that's just the way it is. And they also have a bias towards Iowa because of their athletic director being the head of it. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, I think that will actually do it for our show this time. Thank you so much for listening to the first and 10. We appreciate it. Uh, Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Bye.